Talking Pandemics is an initiative to give a voice to young professionals and researchers on their view of the current pandemic, helping to educate the global audience to think about the pandemic more logically and analytically. Remember to subscribe to receive our episode alert and share the episode so more people can be updated on the current pandemic. Welcome. Hello everyone. My guest today is a PhD student in France. Uh, he did his bachelor's in biology from Turkey and then a vaccinology program, master's program along with me in three, four different European universities. But I know him personally as a nature lover and someone who cares about uh, organisms living in nature. And during this episode, I would like to know more about his thoughts and beliefs uh, about nature. So, Osman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Axe. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here today. We start with the first question. I want to ask you about your belief on animals. And do you think they are different from human beings fundamentally? Uh, I think the word fundamentally makes really difference in the, in the question. Because when we look up, we look at all animals that they fall into an animal kingdom. We do fundamentally share some communities that we can say that we are animals. And that's why that we are in the animal kingdom. I don't know how do you move, how you run, how your brain smells, uh, gets, the, gets the notion of a smell. Doesn't really differ from other animals. So physiologically, we have some properties that makes us all of us uh, common, fundamentally uh, common. But there are of course differences, but differences comes from, come from uh, mostly from the environment. And we need to probably look, when we want to see a difference, probably we need to look uh, in the context, in different contexts where you look uh, to an animal. Uh, for, for instance, of course we have differences because our brains use uh, much more uh, energy energy source from our body comparing to other animals. Although we have a small brain, I don't know if you compare an elephant or a human, mm -hmm. an elephant has really bigger, much bigger brain than a human, but they use only small percentage of, of their uh, energy source, source for their uh, brain, but the human use much more. So those kind of things makes, makes all difference. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, I would say, uh, fundamentally, we have so many common things that we shouldn't say we are fundamentally really different from each other. Okay. And we are physiologically similar, but also in terms of evolution, they say that we are more evolved. So does mm -hmm. that make humans more superior? Oh, if you, if you look at from anthropocentric position, of mm -hmm. course, you would say that we are more superior. But uh, how do I value that I'm more superior than, than the other animal? Because value, this value being more superior is something that is my opinion. That is something that I have created. So if this has no scale to, this value has no scale to say, I am more superior than, than this animal, how I can justify uh, that I'm more superior than this animal. Or as I said initially, uh, for example, okay, in this society, in modern human society, I might be more superior than other animals because I am more able to survive in this society comparing to other animals. Because this is my em environment. I'm, I was born here and 
this is what I have built so for myself and for my own species but if I go to a savanna uh, what I would be there would I be really superior to other animals or would they consider me as a superior animal from another uh, species and respect me in a way that I'm superior than more superior than than them so this doesn't make any sense in in if you think in a context because being superior or being not being superior is just a value that we that's just an opinion that we put ourselves in in the context so just how you look where you look what is your environment i think those are the questions just to define where you would feel superior to other uh, species you talked about the jungle path but like now if we go to jungle and start living there it would be difficult for us but evolutionarily speaking as you said we and animals are physiologically quite similar and it has been hypothesized and i guess proved that we actually came from the jungle yeah. i mean from the waters and then from evolution yeah, yeah. but now we see wild or forest or these areas as something very dis- distinct and distinct from mm-hmm. human civilization why do you think that happened i think this is it might be something that we can look from many different perspective probably but what i would what i would say that it's it's the the general course of of the evolution uh, of human species currently we don't have unfortunately we don't have any other species that is close to us like i don't know if we had neanderthals still living Mm-hmm. that we could compare ourselves with them because they were not able to speak at least as as much as we are speaking or mm-hmm. they didn't have like definite language or some behaviors that we have but we could see some differences but now we are only comparing ourselves with primates and then we see the whole series of evolution i think this is really general course if we wanted to end up in this place by chance probably we need to do go through this process of isolation from the wild mm-hmm. and if we are planning to go more further in the world with different ideas and etc you always go from far from from nature a bit actually because the sources that we use that we have invented usually are they are far from nature mm-hmm. uh, although they are inspired by nature but they are far from nature so that's why it's a general a uh, course of the process course that we go through and mm. i don't feel like as long as we are aware what we are doing and where we are going i don't feel the fear of being really far from nature uh, but because also there is something that whenever you go in a wrong direction and far from the nature nature always reminds you that you need to go back and consider something mm. even today that the situation we are, that we are having with coronavirus is actually a, some sort of consequences that we went far from nature but not wisely then the nature wanted to say okay i'm okay that you're go- going far from me but you need to be in a logical way that our distance shouldn't really having causing uh, bad effects to each other you know we need mm-hmm. to still keep even we are distance from each other we need to still keep uh, this beneficial uh, friendship uh, that we have so as long as you are going in a logical way and you know the, your way how it goes i think being far from nature is 
is still in modern society is still okay but yeah i think this is just a natural course we need to, to think wisely uh, how we can manage this process from your answer i can figure out two two ways one is about the physical physically being distant from the wild and secondly mm-hmm. not being aware that we are actually exactly. really so much connected to to the wild exactly exactly yeah. this is two things that we should consider each time we take an action yeah okay. so uh, also if we have made this civilization and we live here and everything supposed to have a value yeah. in some way or another uh, if someone is from economics or more calculated how would you explain them the value the ecological value of animals mm that's a good question actually we in in modern society probably we always look from from the perspective that we can how we can benefit from these animals yes yes so it turns out to be like how much we use for their meal for their food uh, i don't know for their fur and etc but just looking to an animal ecologically out of this context also gives you a lot of information if i just wanted to give a little example i don't know if you just look an ant it's a little animal that we just step on it most of the time probably and just we are not really aware of it and if we see at our home we just want to get rid of it Uh, but ants in nature they have like a lot a lot a lot of beneficial beneficial effect and they just dig we think that they just dig the soil but they actually really make the soil more beneficial for plants because they when they, when they dig and they bring more air to the soil where plants get more nutrients mm-hmm. and they also they also transfer seeds from one place to another place and in that way they distribute distribute um different kind of plants that they can grow and later it turns that these plants after grow some other insect comes and they pollinate with these plants and their predators benefits from these uh, in- insects and it creates the whole uh whole ecosystem just from one single ant or a colony of an ant but we usually don't look to the whole image we just want to look to a single point there you cannot really because nature is something that you need to see the whole like you need to look as an whole image rather than of course going into small details is something really good as long as you can bring the puzzle pieces together and see the see the whole image i would say it's a beautiful thought but <laughs> it reminds me of something which i would like to share with the listeners about your views on the ecological value of mosquitoes <laughs> <laughs> yeah true this was something that long i i have believed that they don't have any benefits i remember the the talk that i have that i had with with our colleague merlin uh from our master mm-hmm. and once he after a lecture we went out i was just looking at um, some images and some figures i guess of mosquitoes and thinking about it and then merlin came and he was like asman what what are you looking at and i was just said yeah i was just thinking about mosquitoes actually because i felt like they are basically useless and <laughs> they don't have any any benefits because they only transmit diseases and we just struggle 
<laughs> from the diseases that mosquitoes transmit. And then we got thinking with Merlin and a small discussion. But later, of course, I have understood that these animals have, they are the source of uh, food for many other animals. And they also include them, they also have role in uh, pollination. And apart from having transmitting diseases, they have uh, many different functions in the natural, in their natural environment. So it's not only, yeah, not only how we see, but of course, what we are struggling is, is, is coming to more to our, our minds and then we see in a negative way. But yeah, this is also something really related how we live with them they they do cause a lot of diseases so. yeah 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 this is true this is true but this is also something that came with human beings i mean if you look at the transmission of the diseases with mosquitoes especially for instance with aedes aegypti the the tiger mosquito that transmits transmits dengue west mm -hmm. nile virus mm -hmm. uh, chikungunya zika it actually it, it's originated from Africa, but it started to come from Africa. Uh, and in Africa, it was even the virus, um, the mosquito was uh, in rural areas. It wasn't really into human connection. But then humans started to, with urban, urbanization, humans started to go more with the areas where these mosquitoes live. And then they have started to have small places where there, there are waters that these mosquitoes can lay their eggs. And then it has also started to move from Africa to other countries by transport, transportation, because we had a lot of food transportation or the transportation of the people itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and the mosquito has started to change and the disease has started to change their country and started to appear in other countries as well. So it's all related with us, again, when you, when you look at it. And I also think something came along, I mean, as you said, with, as human civilization evolved, like mm -hmm. dogs, cats, cattle, mm -hmm. and maybe also mosquitoes, because we produce a lot, lot of waste, which is food for them. And exactly. it's just like co-evolution. But I think we know how to control them. We just need to work more. Yeah. Yeah. Coming to the next question, a little controversial one, but how can someone love animals mm -hmm. and also eat meat? Hmm. I think this is, uh, it's a really good question. Uh, but I think, what I think about this actually, like how we say, because I thought about this a lot, how we say that we love animals, then we, we eat animals and these animals are slaughtered in slaughterhouse in a really violent way and they live all their lives over there in a really violent way and how we can say still that we love animals i guess this just comes from later what i arrived is it just comes from culture tradition the society where you live in actually we individually doesn't really choose to eat an animal or not to eat an animal we don't justify we, we don't justify eating animal or or anything we just born into a situation i don't know if i was a person born in india i would probably be a, be a vegetarian uh, because my parents were vegetarian and i was raised as a vegetarian then i wouldn't eat but 
being born in a society or a parent where you have where you are eating meat but besides you are loving animals your parents loves and and your society loves animals and etc mm -hmm. so this is more uh, massive uh, movement in my opinion that that has been taken years and years and years we said okay we, we love animals we love dogs we have domesticated these guys and we love cats we have domesticated them mm -hmm. but we can eat that the other animals that we didn't domesticate it cows sheep chickens or or whatever mm -hmm. and then we made this difference and we made it morally morally acceptable in the mm -hmm. society and then, of course, this applied to generations, generations and generations. Mm -hmm. But now, as people are, new generations are thinking more about what they are eating, they are careful about their environment and they are careful about their each actions more than, than previous generations. I guess people just break this uh, culture, cultures, traditions, and they just live however they, they want. Because if culture doesn't serve me after a while, it's logic. I should stop following a certain rule. And if eating meat doesn't serve me anymore, and it's proved by, I don't know, now WHO that eating processed red meat, there's a strong correlation between colorectal cancer and, and eating meat. So people learn more now about the consequences and then they can break the, the, the rules that has been created by traditions and, and cultures. And if we actually, I mean, because of cultural uh, forces or some other things, if we do prefer to eat meat, uh, how would mm -hmm. you, how do you think we can eat it more sustainably? Mm, it's a good question. Um, what, I, what I read about it actually recently because I have been reading about vegan diet, vegetarian diet, Mediterranean diet, or there are some type of diets um, that include fasting and restriction of some foods uh, due to a religion, as, as I said, tradition or culture. Uh, some, they, they all have some, some different uh, benefits, mm -hmm. uh, but if someone wants to still eat meat and have an and make cause less effect, then I would say I think the Mediterranean diet is uh, much more safer for the environment. I think they have also compared the Mediterranean diet, vegan diet and vegetarian diet and the effect, of, um, effect on the environment. And Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet was found to be uh, really close to vegetarian and, and vegan diet. Uh, so, eating i don't know like two times instead of because people now uh, they are eating a lot a lot of meat every day seven days a week and they eat meat and sometimes they eat meat in lunch at lunch and then they eat meat at the dinner and then of course this makes too much unnecessary uh, eating meat so instead you can su support your diet with more veggies and eat uh, meat I don't know, like two times, three times in a week, because we don't really necessarily eat, we don't really necessarily need to eat meat that much. You don't need to eat hamburger every day or meat every meal. The, I mean, this is, this is real, this is science, this is because you don't need to have that much. 
people are obsessed with this protein. I need to take protein, protein. But they all forget about that you can take protein from plants, plant source as well. There are many good plant sources that you can have your protein. You don't need to eat meat. But you still, if you want to eat um, meat in a safer way and more eco-friendly way, I would say Mediterranean diet has really similar effect as vegan and vegetarian diet. Okay, so uh, continuing with this topic, because you're from Turkey, I, I lived in Barcelona for accumulatively one year. And during my last six months, I was with a Greek girl. She was my flatmate. And mm-hmm. I absolutely love uh, Mediterranean diet. It was like, and it is so different from Indian diet because it has like minimal uh, spices. But mm-hmm. it's like they enjoy the natural flavor of the food and the herbs, and I loved it. But for the listeners, uh, can you elaborate on Mediterranean diet? Just what are the basic components of a Mediterranean diet? Lots of veggies, like the base, actually. Uh, of course, we in Mediterranean diet, you have meat, but this is m- uh, mostly a white meat, either a fish or, or chicken, it might be. Uh, but apart from that, you have different version of, of vegetables, stuffed vegetables, I don't know, fried vegetables, vegetables cooked in million different, <laughs> millions of different way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we usually eat also seasonal. This is also something that's really important to do, uh, to be more eco-friendly. I think in Mediterranean diet, any Mediterranean person, for example, would differ uh, eating tomato in summer, but in, eating tomato also in winter. They wouldn't prefer to eat their tomatoes in winter. What we do mostly, we uh, buy a lot of tomatoes and we process tomatoes during summer summer times. For example, my mom does a lot and, and in cities, in Mediterranean cities, you can see people, they store, they conserve tomatoes for their winter time or they conserve vegetables. That's why actually it's more eco-friendly. You conserve the food from summer, the summer food, because you, don't, you know that those are uh, seasonal foods. You need to eat tomato in summertime or you need to eat some veggies that they, are, that they grow in summertime. You don't need to eat them in winter. If you want to eat, then you conserve the ones that you buy from summer. And then you be more eco-friendly because you don't pay to buy tomato in winter which is produced in, a, in an artificial way and then um, sold in the market and then uh, for this transportation is more uh, cost to environment, uh, for everything, like lots of um, energy use unnecessarily. So Mediterranean diet is, is, it might be healthy from uh, eating perspective, but also the, the way how you eat things seasonally is also really important. Thank you. So the next question is, so this is about animals up till now, but now I want to ask you, how, what do you think about microorganisms? How do you define them? I ask this question because in general perception, people are a little scared and skeptical when they hear about a bacteria or a virus or you know something like that. But strangely, they are everywhere, but we only notice them when they cause disease. Yeah, yeah. So as an animal lover, 
where does the microorganism stand for you i think whatever we don't see we we kind of when we see the effect of it we kind of get scared of it and then we go far by this fear this fear push us to yes. to go far from from it but this shouldn't be the the situation probably we should go more on it to understand how we can be uh, more uh, having beneficial relationships mm -hmm. and this is all already proven by with many microorganisms mm -hmm. and as we know now okay we know that they are pathogens that they cause harm to human body mm -hmm. but on the other side we have mm -hmm. also microorganisms bacteria uh, that they have beneficial effects uh, for instance our gut uh, microbiota is super beneficial and because we have a certain amount of bacteria that they can protect us from uh, having other diseases because they can fight with their other with the pathogens that they cause these diseases actually even just when they are trying to uh, have their own places in in the host uh, they just have benefits to the host by by not having the intention maybe to 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 make a, a to make benefit mm -hmm. but um, yeah or our skin is full of uh, microorganisms which is uh, protecting us from uh, other pathogens when we just uh, first encounter with the pathogens and skins are are the first place where we encounter with with pathogens so if we didn't have this uh, microbiota on our skin we would be really fragile to all diseases and then yeah. yeah so they are really important for us in that sense and i know now the the papers are really increasing and we connect everything with microbiota especially gut microbiota there are like a lot a lot of papers and and studies increase uh, for instance there is gut brain axis and diseases like alzheimer uh, multiple sclerosis uh, they have all been somehow connected to uh, to gut microbiota and now we see cancer uh, i don't know even the aging the whole process of aging is is really really related with uh, with our gut microbiota and the and the food how we how we eat and what kind of uh, microorganisms we grow or we deplete in our uh, in our intestine can you elaborate a little bit on what is that microbiota yeah it's we have certain amount of bacteria in our uh, body that we live with them and we uh, we consume them from foods that we take uh, or from air it might be and this happens since our childhood so you will first grow a certain amount of bacteria microbiota with the milk from mother, for instance. So mm -hmm. uh, what, what mother eats and transmits through the, through the milk is passes to the baby. And then with the food, when we first in, encounter, we start to get uh, other type of bacteria, then it gets diverse, more diverse, and, and it goes through the aging process uh, along what we eat. Yeah. They help us with digestion, they help us with uh, some pathogenic, uh, organisms and they protect us in that sense by fighting uh, with them when they encounter with these with these pathogens. Mm -hmm. For the next question, I 
I wanted to ask you, do you know why we are seeing new pathogens like the SARS-2, the novel coronavirus coming up? It comes under the category of emerging infectious diseases. Do you, first of all, do you think that this is something new? which is happening and if yes why <clears throat> i think this is not really new definitely not new and i don't know i just want to give the this example of the paper uh, it has been published in lancet in 2003 and it's called epidemiology and cause of severe acute respiratory syndrome in guangdong people's republic of china in february 2003 and this paper has been published in 2003. And I'm just going to read you a really small part from discussion uh, directly what they have written in this discussion part. And it just says, one important question that has arisen from the SARS outbreak is why the new coronavirus emerged in Guangdong, southern China? There might be a link to the culinary habits of some southern Chinese who consume wild, wild game meat as a delicacy. To satisfy this demand, different kinds of wild animals have been hunted for consumption or raised in captivity. These animals are likely, likely source of new emergent infectious diseases to human beings. In fact, the emergence of the highly pathogenic H5N1 influenza virus in humans in 1997 and in early 2003 is also zoonotic. The SARS outbreak provides evidence to support the hypothesis that southern China could be a site for emerging pandemic infectious diseases in the future. People has written that in 2003 and just like stated that there will be pandemics. Yeah. Yeah. So actually it's everything is, I mean, it's not really not unpredictable. We could just see the future and now we see. And recently I have been just thinking about like all the situations and everything. Maybe there will be other, other uh, viruses that they are going to emerge and definitely will be. And, and especially by the contribution of um, climate change and globalization and some other factors like traveling, uh, transportation, and not only human travels, but also food traveling. As, as I have just mentioned, eating local and is really way different than eating something that is coming from other land of other from other lands it really affects the way how we encounter with all these pathogens you were talking at the beginning about being distant with the wild so it's like there there so there is like a link between us and the wild. That means that a pathogen, a virus, which can divide in a wild organism, can divide in domesticated or humans too. Mm -hmm. yep. So it's about acknowledging that and keeping yourself safe. But if you don't acknowledge this, that we are so closely related to the wild and mm -hmm. we just think about economic terms or cultural terms or totally disregarding uh, the potential connection we have with yeah. the wild. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not just the government, but even the public recognizing this thing about the human history, I think mm -hmm. is very important. Otherwise, it's a very difficult problem to solve, right? Yeah, of course. And because like all the um, animals that we see in the nature, they are somehow source of some other pathogens. 
I don't know. If you look at bats and they have Nipah virus. I don't know, like by being aware that these animals have Nipah virus, you can you could have really a different way of uh, living and yeah. just being aware of how you would how you should be uh, being in, interacted with these animals and the nature. And and as we have talked about mosquitoes, how they come, how they transmit it, how the effect of climate, uh, how the effect of transportation can can really push the process further or or stop it somewhere else. Uh, it really depends how you look at it and how you interpret it. I mean, the sources are uh, sources are there. We knew that the coronavirus is there. It's just there, and I don't know. Nipah virus is there. Influenza is there. We just mm-hmm. know that. And we just didn't encounter before, but that doesn't mean that we will not in the future. Yeah. So we just create an environment where we can meet with them. So also there is a chance, there is a place where we can just stop meeting with them. And <laughs> yeah, and I think when you bring Nipah or even I think Ebola as well. Uh, exactly. But um, I think we need this message to be conveyed to at the community level in the local regional levels and especially with communities who are living near the wild or who have the, these cultural norms you know about mm-hmm. eating exotic or not exotic but wild animals mm-hmm. this message needs to be uh, passed to them and it yeah. should have been passed like i don't know 17 years ago when the first sars came up and it it has to be a top priority i mean i i hope and i'm sure that after this it would be but mm-hmm. but my point being that you cannot just educate the urban population about this and mm-hmm. hope for the best because most of them are coming in the barrier between the jungle and the human settlement. I think also it's really hard when you come to a point where the population, where the human population and the virus or whichever the cause of disease uh, meets, then it's a bit tricky. I don't know. For example, when we think about the RNA viruses, they are, they are really easily adapted to a new host by not having, um, correction of their mutations because they are lacking they are unable to correct their mutations and then they can really adapt their their cells to to a new host mm-hmm. and once you encounter this pathogen and then it's a bit it's even harder not not being face to face with them not not being not not facing with them you know you know what i mean it's harder when we meet with them rather than preventing like after meeting with them, yes. it's it because there are the the factor of the pathogen can have mutations. I don't know. For example, um, we had uh, resistant to malaria chloroquine uh, after a while. Uh, then, yeah. or we have antibiotic resistance, for instance, mm-hmm. and it all happens after a while. Okay, first at at at, at first it works maybe, but then later uh, things change. So better not to have the first meat with the pathogen than having meat and trying to struggle with the situation. We have actually so many questions that we need to 
we need to think about. Maybe the, the course of the disease will change because we are le learning so many things during the pandemic. I don't know if we look at an influenza virus. It's also a virus that we have a vaccine now, but we need to repeatedly create a new vaccine for, for each season. So it's really, it's really hard when you just come in contact and, and, and these pathogens can, can have human beings as a host. Yeah. Uh, in the community in general, I have observed that they treat it as a villain. I mean, they treat the virus or the pathogen, for example, currently the SARS coronavirus too. Even the American president uh, says that we are at war with the virus. And I'm, I'm currently in India and here also there's this something like a rivalry or anyway, I don't know. But I believe personally that it's like a living organism who is just multiplying. He doesn't mm. have a brain or he is not strategizing anything. He, it is in his genes that whatever you get, just attack and, and multiply. And mm -hmm. as you said, it will adapt and it will change itself whatever suits it so yeah. yes it, it is much better to to not let it enter the human body exactly. So. exactly so it's better that we take the preventive measures than having uh later trying to control the virus in this case where we are doing actually in 2003 we have seen with the first sars corona outbreak in china mm -hmm. that this is something that is it's something pneumonia-like disease that we haven't seen before and it's, it, it can cause really outbreak and it can come even from these uh, wild origin uh, animals and it has roots related to, to, to some traditions of eating meat and etc. So we knew basically so many things about it. But yeah, it happens then after years and years and we are in a situation where the whole world is, is struggling with it. Yeah. Then actually we turn to a first question. Do, are we really superior? <laughs> Can we really say that we are superior? <laughs> Previous questions, some of the questions you mentioned about climate change and infectious diseases. Can you mm -hmm. give some examples or elaboration about how climate change might make the situation worse or introduce us or expose us to much more danger in terms of pathogens? Yeah. Actually, we can, we, can just, we can just see with the mosquito example that we have uh, talked about at the beginning because those, are, those mosquitoes are originated from Africa and their natural habitat is, are in Africa and in rural areas where they live actually uh, in a bark of a tree or, or uh, some uh, places where they, have a, um, that where they have water, some water that they can lay their eggs. But uh, what happens with these mosquitoes is that now we, we have seen in the past in France, Italy, and some other European countries, uh, people have encountered with these mosquitoes and, and uh, got the disease because those mosquitoes uh, somehow uh, transported to the Europe and, and the climate, of course, uh, with the climate change, the degrees are increased and they learn in a way how to create a new habitat and new living environment in other places. So this will what happened with so many animals, like migrating birds, for instance, the birds that they are migrating seasonally or, or from time to time. Uh, they will have, after a while, they will have a place, new place, where they can also settle down. And, and these birds are a source of 
many different uh, diseases. So it's also uh, risky in that sense. But apart from that, there are um, actually diseases that we have never thought that we could uh, have again, for instance, like smallpox or anthrax. But what happens with climate change, we have the, the ice, ice that they are melting. And this will, bring, this will bring so many diseases that they were, uh, so many pathogens that they were frozen uh, years and years. And then these pathogens can emerge again and we can encounter, we can see them in society. Because this happened, I guess, in, in Siberia uh, before. Because in 2016 in Siberia, 12 years old child had, and 20 persons were hospitalized due to anthrax. And the spores were hidden over 75 years there. But then wow. uh, what happens with this melting ice, uh, the new uh, pathogens because in in the past we had a lot of pandemics and these people were buried some of them on uh, under ice and there will be or under soil uh, but there will be a point where these pathogens will start to emerge again and even the bacteria other pathogens viruses that we have but that we don't know their name because we didn't know that they were exist but they might come come as well yeah, I, I guess in 1890, 1890, where they had this, this uh, smallpox epidemics and they were buried after these epidemics, then okay. it can emerge again. But for the last question, I want to ask you, what do you love about nature? Basically, my short answer would be everything. I actually, not, I don't really discriminate as any single thing in the nature that I see that I I say and I don't like. I really appreciate everything coming from nature. Although sometimes as we have just told that things might be like pathogens and things that they that we don't really appreciate. But this also gives us some sort of understanding how we need to be uh, behaving and how we need to be conscious about uh, nature and how we are living is living in it. I think just we need to be we need to be more wise right i think the nature is is something that is a limitless source of learning so what i like about nature is just like it's it's limitless and every single thing in nature gives me something to learn and it's an endless process and it's always joyful to and peaceful i don't know just being outside in in a natural place gives you calm, a relaxation, and you just feel better. Uh, I think I just like uh, this process and, and these feelings that the nature gives me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, on this note, I would like to end this episode and say goodbye to Osman for his insightful thoughts and for sharing his love for nature with us. Thank you, Osman. Thank you, Akshayata. Thanks a lot for having me. It was my pleasure to be here and, and share some thoughts. Hope we will be contributing someone's learning in a way that they can enjoy. Join us again next episode and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the different platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Plus, 
continue enjoying our discussion more in detail, you can visit us in our Patreon at patreon.com slash talkingpandemic, where you can access to exclusive content. Check it out. Links are in the description below. And remember, to stay tuned, stay safe, be strong, and be curious.